welcome back to another installment of the ABC Movie Show. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, the thing that I want to lead off with is the upcoming releases that we should be getting here within the next month because uh, January was a little slow. Uh, that terrible The 355 movie came out uh, and Scream and I think Sing 2 and that was all that was really even notable if you sing can call two was it actually notable. december okay sing two was december i was wrong um but it's been a very dry month i think in terms of interesting stuff besides sundance which has started right it has this uh, week how's that going on right now have you has have you gotten your screenings yet i have i watched one yesterday and i'm thinking about getting another one but i'm not sure yet how was that experience the virtual it was good. So I, I saw Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is Cooper Rafe's second movie. Um, and I got to say, it's it's fucking incredible. It is so awesome. freaking good. I'm, I'm so excited for it to get a full release. Um, Dakota Johnson, I think, well, one, I think this movie confirmed that she's my favorite actress working today. Really? And yeah, I think she's incredible. And this movie is definitely her best performance I think she's given. She's on a roll, especially at the Lost Daughter that came out um, in January, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to have a great year, and I'm wow, really excited. I had, I had no idea you were such a big Fifty Shades of Grey fan. That's I, I haven't seen that movie. I've seen all her other movies. I haven't seen it either, but from what I've heard, not worth the watch. Yeah, I, I don't think I need to see that. I'm not judging it based off that. I'm judging it. She does like all these like small little indie movies, and she's so good in them. Um, and I also realized that she has did, did a Q and A after with Dakota and Cooper and some of the other actors, and she has her own production company. And this production company was the one that made uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth. So she's like hmm. into she's like a producer. She's into the uh, into the biz. Um, but it was a fantastic movie. Awesome soundtrack. Um, Gene Dawson, who I think you know, uh, he's mm-hmm. like a small upcoming artist. He had the opening song, which was pretty awesome. Opening oh, credits. Great shot so, for him. Yeah. Props to him. It's going to be big. Um, but overall, yeah, great movie. Uh, took place at a bunch of bar and bat mitzvahs. <laughs> it was very reminiscent for me. Looking <laughs> back on say, those. Sounds, sounds right up your alley. <laughs> it has nothing to do with being Jewish at all. It just <laughs> takes place at bar mitzvahs, which is so funny. I know. Um, but it was a great yeah. movie. And, yeah, it, it went pretty smoothly. I watched it on my TV. They have their, like, their own Sundance app that they use. They showed some like little like of their own Sundance trailers beforehand, and then you watch the movie. It's nice. So the introductions to them are just like the trailers, or do they have some like a director it's speak n- about it before? It's not what? the trailers to like other movies. It's like right. their own thing. Like usually, it's like either a business that's sponsoring Sundance, or they showed like a nonprofit too. They did like a nonprofit organization that I guess they're sponsored by, or that they just support. Um, so they did a couple of those. Um, okay. And then the programmer came on and did a little introduction about the film. And then afterwards, they did like a, a Q&A, like a 20-minute Q&A. Awesome. That's interesting. Um, and it was cool. Yeah. It went very smoothly. I had five hours to watch it once I hit start. So it was a good amount of time. I, I rewatched the, like, the first hour before I lost um, access. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? Sorry. Wa- so oh, you rewatched. Like you rewatched. Yeah. I rewatched. I was about to say two hours, <laughs> and I restarted it for like another hour before I lost it, and then. Okay. Um, um, I was about to say it's not like how do you know it's good if you only watched the first hour? <laughs> no, no, yeah. It's like totally misheard you. It there. was so good I had to watch it again. 
because who knows when we're going to see it. But it'll definitely um, come out this year. I think it's going to be pretty big. Yeah, I might. I think I'm going to – that sounds good. I, di- I didn't know that you had, like, time to watch um, – you know, I didn't know you had time to watch it besides when it was doing this actual screening, you know. Well, yeah, like so I usually – so the first – there's usually two screenings of each movie. Right. They do, like, the premiere, and then they do, like, a rerun, like, later on during the week. So I yeah. was in the rerun, and the rerun gives you a 24-hour window. It gives you from, like, 10 a.m. from one day to 10 a.m. to the next day. So then you have 24 hours to watch it, but when you click play, that's when your, like, four-hour or five-hour window starts. And okay. then you can only watch it within that time frame. So I waited until I could watch it, press play, and then I had the four hours. Okay. I'm looking at uh, – there's a bunch of screenings that happened today, started today at 10, Mm -hmm. and that looks like the end of the single film screening, so is today. Yeah, they're probably going to do reruns after that. Um, Yeah, there's there's second screenings today, yeah. And then um, Mm -hmm. the 27th, there's one tomorrow. Yeah, so I might check out another one if there's – good ones available but really all the good ones are sold out already yeah there's emily the criminal i don't know what that is sold out palm trees and power lines i've seen a lot about a couple of these movies already and i'm I'm yeah they're getting a lot of buzz which is awesome i'm yes i'm very excited for to to start seeing what comes out of this um one i heard a lot about was emily the criminal actually wow that i'm somebody that is that the Audrey Praza one uh that is oh hang on i'm pulled up the review on accident uh john Patton ford with aubrey plaza yeah yeah i heard about that one it's a thriller yeah it got good reviews so far yeah um a critic i like on letterboxd talked about it uh the cow who sang a song into the future i heard about that one yeah critic i like uh talked about that that looks Oh, that um, really Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut premiered. Mm-hmm. Got a, it got actually like people loved it and people hated it, which is interesting. Yeah, I've seen a lot of it. Uh, Meet me in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, and then Nanny is one that I've seen decent stuff about. That was the first mm-hmm. Sundance movie that I saw people talking about. I also saw good reviews for Genius too. They showed the first episode of Kanye's docu series. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I forgot that was Sundance premiere. And then it's Netflix. February 12th, February? I think. Yeah. February 14th. Um, but they showed the first episode of the three-part series. And it got great reviews. People are loving it, which is awesome. I bet, I bet that sold out. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. I was like, at this point, like, I only have to wait two more weeks. So I didn't want to pay for a ticket that I could see it in two weeks. Anyways. Right. Yeah. There's no point. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for it. Do you have anything on the upcoming schedule that you're excited for in the next month with february uh i have a couple highlights that that i am very excited about uh you hit yours first well um for me i'm personally very excited for jackass 4 hell yeah i so am i have a deep deep love for those movies um they're so funny and i think they're they're one really the- incredible one of the genius parts about it to me, besides just like obviously the fucking hilarious stunts, is that they're all genuinely like funny guys. Like, oh yeah, like pretty they're hilarious and shit. It's so but they're funny. also insane. Like oh, they're, they're equally as crazy as they are hilarious, which makes right. for a great combo. And Steve-O is somebody that I actually like. I think he is like one of the greatest guys ever, and like. <laughs> His whole SeaWorld campaign, like, I'm so behind that shit because fuck SeaWorld, like yeah. he says often. 
um what was it blackfish changed my life mm-hmm. um fuck sea world i love steve you like uh, steve-o more than knoxville oh steve is by far my favorite i've got his like mm. book and shit like i love him nice um yeah i mean then, they're all incredible and crazy <laughs> at the same time oh my god it's great uh i'm also <laughs> far more excited than i should be for moonfall uh, I'm probably gonna pass on that one. I am going to see that shit so quickly. <laughs> it looks like I'm, a terrible February disaster movie. Oh, it looks horrible. But man, Roland Emmerich on a big screen with <laughs> fucking Patrick Wilson. I'm in. I'm all the way in. You've got me. You. Have I feel like we haven't gotten one of these like disaster space movies in a while. Not for a while, man. Yeah, and yeah, Roland it's good Emmerich, to it's good to bring him back a little bit every now and then. He's hopefully gonna break the. I'm praying he breaks the scr- the slump because I think the last film that he put out. Oh, he did Midway. I forgot about that. Ugh. But uh, Independence Day Resurgence was the the last one I saw, mm. and that I it broke my heart. <laughs> it it broke my heart. I freaking love Independence Day. Like that is that is peak of action cinema, and and it's so perfect. And then he ruined it. At least it was the same director. It wasn't just like someone else. I that makes it hurt more. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> he, he killed his own child in front of me <laughs> on an IMAX screen. Yeah, it doesn't make it worse. Makes it so much worse. I, I when Will Smith said he wasn't going to be in it, I should have known. I should have known, but I watched it anyways. I mean, he made 2012. He made everyone freak out about 2012 in reality. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that movie, and oh, yeah. then I rewatched it, and I was like, ah, man, I was a kid when I watched this. This is not. I mean, that's what they're made for. They're made for kids just watching every, the world blow up. But, I mean, his early career, like, after The Patriot, it just goes, but um, Patriot. Day After Tomorrow was kind of fun. Day After Tomorrow is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, man, it's rough. But, like, Stargate, Independence Day, and The Patriot are three, I think, pretty well-received per- like movies, well-liked. Godzilla, we'll ignore. We're going to jump over that one. And <laughs> didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, he's a, he's this will gr- be a he's, great, terrible movie. He is very good with scale. Yeah, and he I, seems to is, have a big budget for this. So that is something they they like. keep giving him money, even though the critics hate him. I mean, that's what making Independence Day I think will do, though. Like that's yeah, you just got that status where those yeah, keep man. throwing money no matter what. Um, and then the last February release. Uh, Besides the other one, that's we have one more on our list. But uh, the last one that I'm looking forward to that I'll be able to see is Death on the Nile. Which it's the one that kept getting postponed, right? It kept getting postponed. Uh, I'm a big Kenneth Branagh fan, even though I have not and probably will not see his newest movie. Wasn't he in? Didn't he direct uh, Belfast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably not gonna see that. Um, yeah, you can skip it. But I like him a lot, and he is he, great in Tenet. He is. Well, yeah, he's he's good in Tenet. Um, he's great in Tenet. But I love well, he's good in Tenet. Nobody's <laughs> great in Tenet. That's <laughs> he's that's great in Tenet. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> um, but this Hercule Perot, per- I can never do his last name. Perot, Poir- I I don't know. I'm not French. 
but the Agatha Christie, Christie novel and um, you know he directs them and acts in them and he just has so much fun with that character I just like watching him have fun um, and he has fun with the that whole medium as a whole uh, and he's directed a lot of stuff that you know the Hamlet adaption that he's done is very good the only worrying thing is that like the cast turned into like the cancel me Olympics. <laughs> Which mm. Oh yeah, Army Hammer's in it, right? Army Hammer, Letitia Wright, who has been oh, yeah. super controversial right lately, and Gal Gadot, who's got the whole Israeli army thing that people don't necessarily want to touch. Like mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why they're releasing it now. In February. Yep. They're just kind of throwing gonna... it under the bus. It's going to make – oh, and Russell Brand, who recently has been, you know, a little rougher too. But I just like this character so much, and I like Kenneth Branagh so much that I'm still going to see it. And, you know, there's also separating art from artists. Like, I'm not going to not watch Usual Suspects anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, movies of all time, it looks like, like a normal it. It looks like a normal mystery whodunit type of movie. Right. And that's fun. I'm going to get my popcorn, my popcorn, and I'm going to enjoy it. Unless it's the it's time of year to do it. So, and if Gal Gadot has more than ten lines, it might be bad. So, <laughs> she's um, not great with delivery. Also coming out is the worst person in the world. Hopefully, right. it's doing the L.A. New York next week, and then yes. if it does well, which it hopefully it should, it will go wider throughout the month. Um, but this is a twenty-two or it's a twenty-twenty-one release because it, it that's what it's officially listed as. Well, it's 2022 release officially, but it did. No, it's officially listed as 2021. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. That's impossible because it's premiering in theaters in 2022. It, did it was festivals. made in 2021. Yeah, it it did festivals in 2021, which makes it it's it's release date. Its first release date was July 8th at Cannes. That's its official premiere. I don't think uh, movies are tracked by the festival date though. It's usually the first theater release. Look, man, that's just what I'm. That's just what IMDb is telling me. <laughs> it's done uh, multiple screenings in the U.S. already. Yeah, maybe it has in a small theater run. Maybe actually, it might have just to um, squeeze into the Oscar run. I bet it did. Um, okay, but yeah, either way, for the majority of us, <laughs> it will be out this month in 2022. Um, yeah. There's a couple that are listed as 2021 releases, and I think that's due to festivals or smaller theater runs, but are getting wide releases in 2022. Because, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, are you excited for Marry Me, the new Owen Wilson, uh, Jennifer Lopez vehicle? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. I remember seeing the trailer in theaters. Uh, it's the I one where, where Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez is, like, a superstar and falls in love with the fan. Who's not no, no, no. supposed to be there? Doesn't fall in love with him. She picks him up as a PR stunt because the a guy PR she's going right. to marry on stage cheated on her. Right. Okay. Hey, kind of sounds fun. Uh, Moms will think are going to love it. I don't think I'm going to see that one. <laughs> I think moms are going to love it. Moms will love it. Owen Wilson. This is a mom movie. Oh, we're Owen Wilson. Uh, now, this is something that I actually very much care about um because i loved this play when i was younger when i had to read it in high school uh the cyrano movie with peter dinklage 
Yeah, I have no interest in that. <laughs> I I unfortunately don't either because it is a musical and that's not Cyrano's not a musical play. It's like a Shakespeare uh, it's not written by Shakespeare, but it's like a Shakespearean drama. Really? So it's not a musical. They made it into a musical. They made it into a musical. And wow. also it's not about a dwarf, it's just about an ugly dude. So I mean, props to giving Peter Dinklage a role. I guess, but also like I, I've seen some weird shit like okay, so Peter Dinklage obviously made a great point, like, hey, we don't need the the magical dwarf thing anymore in these Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen other actors who have dwarfism saying like Hey man, these are our roles. Don't take away. Don't try and take away roles for dwarfs. But that's one Disney movie we're talking about, right? And I think Serrano proves the point that they're getting hired for roles that are not meant for dwarfs. Well, yes, but also he's playing the character of somebody who is considered disfigured by society. So like. It's all this weird backlash coming from all these different places. It's it's a, it's a very fifty fifty split um, on Peter Dinklage. Uh, I'm a. I mean personally, I'm on Peter Dinklage's side. I mean, I, I, I look. He knows better than I do. I don't care. Yeah, like, yeah. And also, <laughs> yeah, it's coming from him, who's an actual dwarf. So, yeah. Um, I'll trust him over anyone. It's just it's a very weird thing going on. I didn't necessarily want to get to it because I I don't I I don't want to be controversial. I I don't have a controversial take on it, but it's just a a very weird thing I've noticed. But I was and, afraid of getting canceled. <laughs> and no, um, but also him coming after Disney, like Disney makes a lot of movies, so it's clearly something he cares about because it's one old movie. I don't get why. I mean, I get why Disney fans are getting so hysterical over it, but. No, I'm saying Chillax. what I'm saying is like Peter clearly cares a lot about it, uh, about like the proper representation. Well, because they're um, remaking it, right? Right. Yeah. And like they're like, oh, look how progressive we're being, ha- having like a Latin uh, actress play Snow White. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it's very progressive, but we're still doing the fucking dwarf thing. Like, and, but, yeah. but. What I'm saying is he clearly cares a lot about this and thinks it's a bad portrayal of people with dwarfism because he's speaking out against such a, a big company that makes so many movies. Like, Right. You know, Disney's like the fucking mafia. They don't forget any slights. Right. Yeah, I mean, all I can say is that I'm on Peter Dinklage's side. Yeah. Whatever he says. <laughs> um, he's the man. That's why we don't get paid to do this. I love Peter Dinklage, though. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not ex- excited for his new movie, though. I'm mad they turned that into a musical. I was so I was actually so excited. I was like, "Fuck yes, Peter Dinklage playing Cyrano de Bergerac. That's awesome." And then I was sad because I saw singing, and I was like, "Ah, it's not what this this. That's a great play. I'm fucking pissed." Fuck. Yeah, I just don't like that time <laughs> period either. So not for me. Yeah. Mm. Um. But the the uh, I'll count it in because next week's February, in the month we're getting, or a, a month from next week, <laughs> a month from next Friday, Batman's coming out. There, I spit it out. <laughs> Fuck yes. The more and more I see about this movie, the more and more excited I get. Did you see the official poster they got released today? I I don't like the poster. It's terrible. It's I like the poster that's on IMDb. 
I'll check that one. But the floating head poster they released today, not that even blames- Batman could escape it. Every <laughs> fucking superhero movie gets the floating head treatment. The letterbox poster is very good too. Um, but I, I blame Star Wars for that. Were they the first ones to do it? At Star Wars in the the seven the original nineteen seventy seven Star Wars po- uh, poster is floating heads. Then I one hundred percent blame Star Wars. Like it's, and you know, I also I blame Marvel too because it's fine if one like series does it like Star Wars and they keep doing it. That was their tradition. They started it, but then Marvel kind of just took it on with every single superhero and DC kind of did the same thing, and just ran with it. And now it's just terrible because they're all clearly photoshopped and just clearly look bad. It's not it's not um, floating heads, but it's like Luke standing in the foreground, Leia behind him, just shoulders. And then like Darth Vader's head looming over and then Mm -hmm. Han standing to the left of Luke with just his shoulders. And, you know, you've seen the poster. Yeah. Yeah. The Batman one on IMDb, which is the full red poster with him kind of in the shadows with rain falling awesome looks great that's a cool poster yes but i think these floating heads they just work because you see all the actors you see you know who the villain's going to be you know who the hero is going to be you know the side characters are going to be it just works for marketing yeah and it sucks um, because there's no creativity put into them but i'm looking at the blade runner 2049 poster that's a floating head poster yeah, I mean, they all get it. It's just, it's impossible to avoid at this point. Sicario's a floating head poster. That's sad. They all get them. You can't avoid it. Well, I'm just hoping that, um, like, the official, like, the uh, theater promo posters are the ones from IMDb. Because that, yeah. be that would look sick in front of a theater. Yeah, it would. Um but yeah, we'll see, I guess. But yeah, either way, I am I'm super excited. New Batman movie. We just we watched The Dark Knight. It's going to be awesome. Yep. Noir styled. Um, no what? Noir. What's no? Oh, noir. Yeah. Noir. I'm s- I think it said no R. I was like, what? No. <laughs> no R rated? No, Is that what you No mean? R. It's, well, it's not R rated, but um i also don't think batman needs to be r-rated because it's not like he's killing people like he's just beating the hell out of them no g13 is fine for me uh what i'm trying to figure out uh when i saw matt reeves i got all pumped up but now i'm looking at his imdb and i'm like why did this make me so excited i love personally the planet of the ape series i think they're fantastic i do too but like i i, I wasn't like oh yes this guy can do a true noir gothic Batman story. <laughs> like, I'm excited to see his take, though. He does have no, I am sci-fi elements in the past. Like, he made Cloverfield. I love Cloverfield. I was about to say, you big Cloverfield guy. Oh yeah, I love Cloverfield. I love found yeah. footage movies personally. So, mm. um, not. I love the second one too. I don't. You don't think he made that? But um, no, he did not. Ten yeah. Cloverfield Lane fucking rules, though. Um. But yeah, the Cloverfield Paradox guy. <laughs> Dude, that has to be one of the biggest letdowns of all time. I just made myself mad with it. I just made myself angry. <laughs> because every, no one knew it was coming. Literally no one. There was no leaks. There was no anything. Then the trailer it, premiered at the Super Bowl. Everyone got it so like, hyped. It, so it premiered hyped. the Super Bowl. It said when the game ends, it'll be on Netflix. Yeah, that's never happened before ever. 
And it, everyone was so hyped. I remember being so excited, being, holy shit, a new Cloverfield movie out of nowhere. And then it was watch the it? worst abomination of all time. Did you watch it right after the Super Bowl? I did. Yeah. I did too, man. I was. <laughs> I had to. My roommate and I. Uh, Everyone, yeah. The people I was I. with were, were hyped too because they saw the original. I was like, we got to watch this. And then it was just the biggest we, letdown ever. We were big. We had like recently watched 10 Cloverfield Lane and then like that trailer happened and we were like holy shit we're watching like we have to we have to and then it was just so so bad and the thing about paradox too is there was no like con not, not context but like pretenses or bias going into it because no critics have seen it no like user reviews like no one has seen this movie so you had no idea what to expect at all going into it and then <laughs> this dropped like that i feel like that's never been done before it was a great like piece of marketing Oh, yeah. But it was executed on a terrible movie, which is probably why they did it. Um, yeah, I feel like they were experimenting. They wanted to try something with like a surprise drop like this. And then they just decided to do it on a terrible movie just because they could. Um, they didn't want to waste it on a, a good movie if it didn't work. So that probably so, makes no sense. Speaking of experimental and possibly marketing plays, the Space Station movie theater is something that you wanted to discuss. Well, not movie theater. This or not movie much, theater, sorry, movie, movie set, movie studio. Much bigger than a movie theater. This is a movie studio that got announced. Um, in space. In space, an actual space. And the crazy part is they said, by 2024. In less than two no years. No chance. No shot. So this is by a company called Space Entertainment Enterprise. They go by C for short. Um, and they're the ones who are co-producing Tom Cruise's upcoming space movie. Um, but they're building an actual space station that's going to be used as a movie studio. And not only a movie, stu movie studio, but a sports arena as well. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't understand that. What do you what mean? Sp what sports are going to be played in space? We're not playing space basketball. Like, Are we bringing t like two football teams, full football teams, and the coaching and the staffing and everyone up into space? This is not – there's no way this happens. No. There, yeah, like, zero chance this all. happens. Okay, I don't know about at all, but I feel like no way this is happening by 2024. Well, so let me let me read a quote that they said before we, we get into this. Okay. So they said they're calling it Axiom Station. This is a quote from them. The world's first commercial space station is designed as the foundational infrastructure enabling a diverse economy in orbit. Adding a dedicated entertainment venue to Axiom Station's commercial capabilities in the form of C1 will expand the station's utility as a platform for a global user base and highlight the range of opportunities the new space economy offers. One, we don't have a space economy. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I think what they're banking on is like people are like this whole space hotel thing is going to take off and like these trips into space are going to take off. But like. So. Technically, we do have commercial space travel. It's just for the yes. rich of the rich. Like, they're yes, the only ones who can really rich. afford it. But 
Why is the first thing that we're really doing in space is creating a movie studio? It's bizarre. I never thought that would be on the top of the list. Like, like I'm all for that once we're in space and commercial uh, travel is like readily available and we're on like multiple planets already. But not the first thing. Like, I love movies as much as the next guy, but like, come on. We have more opportunities we should be using and more we should be spending our money on different things than a fucking movie studio. I feel seen by the ultra rich billionaires of the world. They're like, these fucking nerds are going to love this. <laughs> um, like, I'm all for this. This sounds like super cool, but not now. Not when we have a, a planet dying and we need to find a new planet and <laughs> c- c- go somewhere else to save the human race. The problem is, well, here's what's going to happen is <laughs> it's, it's just going to be Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk once they figured out the secret to live like to live forever making home movies in the studio while they hurtle <laughs> through space to the new planet that they're going to find and populate and we're all dead here. It's like going to be Bezos and Musk documentaries. It's going to be vlogs. No, it's going to be hey vlogs. No, what what they're going to do here is with Tom gonna, Cruise. They're going to use this they're going to bring Tom Cruise. They're going to use the CGI and all the brain scans they get from the metaverse <laughs> and they're going to be able to Yeah, Zuck's going to be there too. They're going to be able to con- like to make all these films in di- diverse settings by using like AI scripts generated by like, you know, the, br- the dead brains of Christopher Nolan. And then <laughs> have time yeah, of course, they're all they're all going to be remakes, too. Yes, we will be remaking Star Wars for the 20th time. 500 years from now while elon musk and, and jeff bezos hurtle through space uh but jeff bezos will still be bald because that cannot be cured we're gonna make 12 years a slave in space oh. zero gravity here's another thing is it is it we can't it's we are not in a sci-fi movie we cannot artificially create gravity it's gonna be a pain in, a, in the ass to shoot well, that's what i was also wondering like are they gonna shoot in zero g or is there going to be artificial gravity on the station i feel like there has to be artificial gravity we can't make artificial (laughs) gravity yeah but i feel like they gotta try right they're probably probably trying right now but it's not something we can do (laughs) like (laughs) this is something that is impossible for us to do like yeah we don't know how gravity we we really don't understand how gravity works it's (laughs) something that people sleep on like we don't completely understand it moonlight in space oh god that takes a whole nother meaning to moonlight (laughs) (laughs) we use actual moonlight to light our characters (laughs) oh god it doesn't make sense it it literally just makes zero sense do they want and this is another thing about the artificial gravity and what i was trying to get to in the beginning is the sports thing. Are we creating like? Are we gonna do a new league where it's like the Ender's Game sport that they? Which play? would be pretty cool. I'm all for that. I maybe. But not now. Not gonna be a market for that, and like everybody's just now starting to come around on Formula One. We're really gonna watch people throw discs at each other in space. Like, what is this? And then, and then, if not, if they want people to do like football in space. You gotta yeah, have and like, gravity. What, what are they gonna do? Like, are they gonna film these games? Because they can't live stream them from space. And so what are they gonna do? Like, film them and then like record them and throw them on TV at like a later time? Like, how are we gonna watch these things? Another problem is that like, if 
if you know anything about space or you've seen gravity, you can't swim through space. You need a system <laughs> of propulsion. <laughs> this doesn't make sense, and I don't think they've thought it through. Yeah, the fact that I'm like, okay, like movie studio, all right. But then they just say it's going to be a sports arena and then never mention anything about sports arena, like, sports or anything. Sports, and we're like, whoa. whoa wait, this article, is, I'm reading the article from Variety, if anyone wants to check it out, but there's literally no information. They're just like, this is going to be huge. It's going to help the space economy. We're going to film movies. We're going to make new sports. Like what? By 2024, less than two years. We can't yeah, even get man. to Mars in 2024. No. But it's so I don't think it's going to be fully built by 2024 because it's it's no. not going to separate from the ISS. Well, even in the original plans. I don't think they're even going to start building it by 2024. Well, no, I don't think that will even will happen either. But like in the plans that they say are going to happen, mm-hmm. it's not it's like going to be connected to the ISSS and ISS. I add an extra S there. And it's not supposed to leave that until 2028. So I'm guessing, like, they plan to have a decent amount connected to the ISS. ISS. I keep adding an S by 2024. But, like, that's not going to happen. This is the So it says in the article that NASA approved this in January of 2020 to build a commercial component of the ISS. So this whole Bullshit. station is going to like dock onto the ISS. But no, nah, I just I I don't see this happening. I feel like they're going to get shut down super fast. Like and also I don't get how NASA even approved this. There this must be some like way s- that they're making money off of it which will then help <laughs> space travel, which if that's the case, I'm kind of for. Like sure. I think it's I mean like it's it's just absolute bullshit like they're gonna get like money fundraised for this and then they're gonna never talk about it again and it's (laughs) never gonna happen okay so besides that do you think the tom cruise space movie is gonna get made i mean if uh any mission impossible movie filming right now ever gets released (laughs) maybe they pushed it back again man i watched all of the mission impossible movies like in like three days so I could get hype for Mission Impossible 7, and they push it back to 2023. But, okay, I think that's for separate reasons, though. But I know it's for separate reasons. I can still be angry about it. Yeah. And Mission Impossible I'm not mad. I'm like just filming. disappointed. I am mad. I saw a video of Tom Cruise running on a train for Mission Impossible 8, and I was like, I have to watch all of these movies now. <laughs> like, I have to understand what is going on. Oh. I mean, I, I do think they're going to shoot this Tom Cruise space movie, but I feel like very little of it's. I think one scene is going to be in actual space. They're going to show him on a the ship. They're going to go up with him. They're going to film a little bit in zero G and then go back down. Oh, Tom Cruise SpaceX project. Yeah. So he's working with Musk, so. Doug Lyman directing. He's had a weird career, Doug Lyman. He started with Swingers. Yeah, he has he has a very diverse portfolio. Jesus Christ. What a weird Okay. Uh just another thing looking at the Tom Cruise IMDB right now. Uh it is so funny 
that the sequel to The Edge of Tomorrow was is called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat because that movie is only known as Live, Die, and Repeat because that's what all the marketing said, but the actual title is The Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> like it's I always so... called it Edge of Tomorrow, but I understand I why too. it was called Live, Die, Repeat. I mean, that's literally what all of it said. Yeah. How is there going to be a sequel to this? Um, They both survive at the end, so... The aliens didn't, right? Yeah, but who knows? They'll come up with another alien. That's easy. Tom Cruise is known for on IMDb is Top Gun, Jerry Maguire, Mission Impossible 2, and The Last Samurai. I feel like that's not accurate. That's yeah, accurate. What do you think should be in replace of those? I, I mean, you can definitely... There's a couple things you can plug in uh, place for The Last Samurai. I'd put um, Risky Business there. Okay. Rain Man? Minority Report? He's got a lot of movies. He's got a lot of of good ones. Superstar. Mission Impossible 2 is also not the Mission Impossible I put there, but that's just me. That one was very popular, though. I don't think it's the most well-liked. I think it's actually the least well-liked. Maybe that's why it's so popular. Weird choice. Tom Cruise, weird guy. That's why Um, he's trying to go to space. That is why he's trying to go to space. Oh, man. The the fucking sea thing just boggles my mind. Tom Cruise is so fucking weird. And you know what I was thinking? I, I was sorry. I was looking at like what I've watched recently, and this week I actually haven't. Uh, the only movie I've watched is Encanto, but The Master was what I the the movie I watched before that. Um, the whole time I was thinking about Tom Cruise, and then I looked yeah. up what Tom Cruise thought about that movie. He fucking hated it. Well, Have you seen you. that? Why would you like it? Well, no, 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 no. Have you heard about this? Like the whole thing about tom cruise in this movie um no but i'm sure he hated it why would he like a anti-scientology movie pta pta either gave him the script or screened it for him personally together yeah because they're friends Mm, well yeah because magnolia um he screened the film for his friend tom cruise Cruz erupted with anger, specifically objecting to scenes where Dodd's son Val admits that Dodd made up the tenets of the cause, which parallels real-life admissions by Hubbard's son. Anderson has admitted to a heated exchange with Cruz, though both the actor and director have kept details of the argument private. Yeah, I think that's a dumb move on PTA's part. I mean, what are you doing showing Tom Cruise, the leader of Scientology, an anti-Scientology movie? Yeah, man. Uh, I I mean, Tom, I'm sure Cruz would have eventually seen it, but, like, showing it to him yourself is a I, bold I understand claim. what he's trying to do, but, like, you're talking to Tom Cruise here. There's no way he's not going to flip out on this. Yeah, he dedicated a majority of his life to it. Apparently they're still friends. I don't understand why he's a Scientologist. Like, the religion is a sham, right? What is the religion? Aliens, uh, right? Let's let's not go into that. <laughs> Are we gonna <laughs> be careful here? <laughs> There's plenty of documentaries you can watch to figure that I, out. 
but like I don't want to because I don't care enough. Oh, I watched <laughs> one and it crazy. is fascinating. It are is you like fascinating s- what they believe in? Are you scared to talk about this? Is this why we're not going into it? No, you it's just wanna- so it's well one it's very in depth, <laughs> of course. But two, it's just so ridiculous. Like it's insane that how many people they convinced of this scam. You don't want to do the insane. Scientology pod with me right now. <laughs> Maybe another time. <laughs> You're not in the mood for the Scientology pod. I'll get somebody to do a Scientology pod with me. I'll get Tom Cruise to do a Scientology pod with yeah, me. Yeah, let's get, let's get Tom Cruise in the pod. And then we can discuss the master afterwards, too. <laughs> do you think you would have been right for Joaquin Phoenix's role in the master? <laughs> yeah, we got to ask him like the most triggering questions we could possibly oh, think of. Um, not to do- to dwell on this movie two weeks in a row, but also, did the master? I don't think I brought this up last weekend. Did the master kill Fe- Philip Seymour Hoffman? Was this his last movie? No, it wasn't his last movie. But he was like a v- known alcoholic, right, and like yeah. drug addict, and he had been clean for years, like leading up to this movie. And then at the rap party, apparently, he had a celebratory drink. And then after that was in and out of rehab and then overdosed. The rap party of the master. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was the movie. The movie was already done. He was done no, shooting No, I know, it. but, you know. That sounds you know more personal than anything. Right. Um, that doesn't seem like the movie caused that. No, I don't think it did. This isn't like Heath Ledger where he, like, did drugs for the movie. Like, this is something the movie was already wrapped. He was done with this character, and he made a personal choice. I wonder why he did that, though. Philip Seymour Hoffman had his first drink in 23 years at the rap party, leading to a relapse of his alcoholism. And that uh, eventually, I think, ramped up to the overdose. It's crazy shit. That's how it happens. His last role was The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. That is just... (sighs) It came out after he died. I remember that, yeah. That's not the one. I don't mind the movie. It's not the one he... What?! Yeah, that's fine. It was a good All right, I'm, mm, I'm staying away from the Hunger Games com- conversation like you are. The, <laughs> the, well, we uh, talked about this I, I love Mockingjay, and you know the Fucking, book. So. I just, I, oh. All right. Before we get mad, let's just, I, I get mad. Let's move on to Blade Runner. <laughs> I can't do this, the Hunger Games conversation. <laughs> that's another pod. That is another three-hour long Hey, which pod. we might be talking about soon. What? Why? Uh, I don't want to spoil our theme coming up oh shit that <laughs> could fit in one. Oh fuck all right well we're gonna talk about it at the end of the episode anyways but moving on we're going to the blade runner after this break hey everybody it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor album book club it is a book club but you know for albums and uh they have weekly picks that they put out on their twitter at album book club one and they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip-hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. They have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, Definitely check them out. 
give the Twitter a follow, give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. And welcome back to the ABC Movie Show. It's time for us to talk about Blade Runner 2049. Jacob, do you want to tell us who directed and who starred and what it's about? Sure, Bo. So, Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denis Villeneuve, um, follows young Blade Runner Kay's discovery of a long-buried secret, which leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. So if you do not know, this is obviously a sequel to the original Blade Runner. Um, it's written by Hampton Fancher, Michael Green, Philip K. Dick. Uh, I want to also give a shout-out to the Roger Deakins, who gives some of the best cinematography, I think, of his... Not not the best of his career, but it's definitely up there for him in his filmography. Uh, um, starring Ryan Gosling as Kay, Anna Darmas, uh, Dave Bautista, Robin Wright, Mark Arnold, um, Sylvia Hoax, I think you pronounced her last name, who plays Love, um, Jared Leto, um, also we get a little Mackenzie Davis action in there, she has a little small cameo, and also the Harrison Ford. Yes, yes indeed. Um, and then, so I'm going to be pulling parts of the review just to fit our uh, conversation. This review comes from Empire, written by Dan Jolin, he gave it five stars. And Roger Deakins is actually where I wanted to start of this, uh, start this off because uh, the beginning of the review for Dan uh, says it may be 30 years on from the events of Blade Runner, but we are still very much in the same murky, unsettling, and engrossing world. And that world that Denis Villeneuve and Roger Deakins had to create is what I was most worried about, I think, when this film came out because I am absolutely in love with the original Blade Runner. It's one of the reasons that I hold Ridley Scott in such esteem, uh, no matter how much he complains about millennials on their phones not <laughs> seeing his period piece that looked kind of boring. But um, that's one of the things, I think, in his prime, when Blade Runner was coming out, when Alien was coming out, uh, something they did with Gladiator, is that he got so right the feel of these places, like specifically with Blade Runner, the feel of, like, the Terrell Corporation, when you meet Terrell and he's rich and powerful and he's got gold everywhere and this big palatial compound that puts out all these human slaves that aren't human, but they're actually androids, but they're not androids because they're really flesh and bone. But uh, And then when you're on the street level with Harrison Ford and it's raining and it's dirty and he's eating noodles out of this bowl and getting yelled at by all these people and... Uh, weird language that like isn't Chinese but is like some I think it's like a world one world language they have I don't know but there's a lot of lore behind this yeah man I don't know anywhere near enough about it no. uh, yet uh, but Denis Villeneuve and Roger Deakins had what seemed like an impossible task to the most important thing to get right was to create the feeling the right way I think I mean like just creating to... a sequel to a cult classic is an impossible task yes and one the where they I'm sure they had to start with, with was the feel of this world and they almost made their job harder by adding in the part about like there was like a ecosystem collapse and like now all this shit has changed because they had to make it a world that feels in the same line with the one Ridley Scott created 
and then also add a new element to it of like a global collapse and where we would have gone from there. Mm-hmm. Like it feels almost harder, but when you read that uh, opening line of uh, narration, I guess, like the opening line of text on the screen, and then like with the first few shots you see coming down into a landscape, which is something we don't really get in Ridley Scott's, is it feels right, you know? Totally. The, he nailed the atmosphere 100%. And I think yeah. that, that also has to do with like obviously Roger Deacon's cinematography, the sound design, and just like the score in this was bombastic and just like it helped with the overall atmosphere and just the feeling. You just really felt like you were in this world and you were experiencing it more than just watching a movie. Yes, indeed. I love it. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. So I want to give a quick quote that Denise said when this movie, I think, initially came out or when it was about to get mm-hmm. released in theaters. Uh, he gave a little quote saying, um, this is from Denise himself. I know that every single fan will walk into the theater with a baseball hat. I'm aware of that and I respect that. And it's OK with me because it's art. Art is a risk and I have to take risks. It's going to be the biggest risk of my life, but I'm okay with that. For me, it's exciting. It's just so inspiring. I'm so inspired. I've been dreaming to do sci-fi since I was 10 years old, and I said no to a lot of sequels. And I couldn't say no to this film. I love it so much, so I said, all right, I will do it, and I'll give it everything I can to make it great. Which I think he succeeded on. Did you say baseball hat or baseball bat? Hat. Hat? Yes. Sorry, no. I think that bad. bad. <laughs> Otherwise, it I was about. I I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, hat does, does not make sense. <laughs> I was like, why are they walking in with baseball hats, man? Um, no, yeah, bat makes a yeah, lot more yeah, sense. Bat, sorry. Um, I totally went went into this movie with a baseball bat. Like, uh, I, I yeah, I I go ahead. I cut you off. Well, I. Sorry, in like 2016, 2017, which is when this came out, this came out in 2017, October 2017, um, is around when I saw Blade Runner for the first time, actually, because that's when I was trying to get more into like the history of film. And this is a uh, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner is an essential step in the sci fi. It was the same with me, too. I I, I saw the original because this movie was coming out. That's not even really why I watched this. I was just like, I really need to see Blade Runner to understand, because it like did set a lot of ground for where sci-fi went just as much i think as star wars oh totally in terms of filmmaking yeah maybe not although it is very relevant in pop culture it's not as relevant as star wars but in terms of like directors making sci-fi blade runner is a a cornerstone 100 percent. and i think I, i didn't see 2049 in theaters which i am kicking myself for i was lucky enough to see it at imax and right. I, I should have. I was gonna say that when I walked in, I was skeptical, like you were. But as soon as that first shot of just the eye, it's the close-in of the yeah. eye on a huge IMAX screen, I was like, "All right, I'm sold. This movie's gonna be amazing." And Man, it was. I, I was like, "I'm not gonna go see it in theaters." You know, I don't know how it's gonna be. And then I watched. And it majority of people did on, it. It failed at box office. Right, and I feel very bad about it now because it's like it's it's so I love this movie not as much as I love the original. It's like a different lane almost mm-hmm. uh, in the way I love them. And so, but man, I'm so upset about it. And I watched it on t- on my TV, which was pretty big at the time. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. I could have seen this in IMAX. <laughs> like, what the hell did I do? Yeah, I, I don't think I was mm. even like going to see it in IMAX. But my friend who's a huge Blade Runner fan was like, we got to go see it in IMAX. Like, let's go. And I was like, all right. 
and I'm, I'm so glad you did. So uh, shout out Corey, my guy. Mm. Man, everything about this movie is perfect. Um, everything about the cinematography is perfect. It's it's besides getting the feel right, it is gorgeous. Oh yeah, the colors it he is, uses, like the orange. Ugh. It is so crisp. I think like. I, I could be totally wrong, but I feel like when Apple was announcing like a new MacBook, they used shots from the movie to show the like the MacBook's like screen resolution. Uh, I would believe it. I mean, there are a lot of like iconic shots that are used all over the place in this movie. Surprisingly, like when you see like a uh, top cinematography shots of all time, this movie's in it at least oh like twice. The, the the I think the hey. main shot is. Uh, Gosling walking through the orange mist uh, with mm-hmm. the landscape in the background, and then also the one of Joy, the robot Joy, reaching down and like touching Ryan Gosling. Which, oh woo, man, what a shot! Um, I uh, I bought this movie. I own this movie uh, on the Apple Library, and I bought it uh, when I was flying to Los Angeles actually uh, for the UGA Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl Rose Bowl game. And I bought it, I was like, because I want to see, like, my laptop has a higher resolution than my TV, because, like, you know, my TV's a little bit older than my laptop is, and I was like, fuck, I need to see what this looks like on, like, the maximum resolution, because Mac puts out some good-looking screens, mm-hmm. man, and um, it looks great on, on, on the highest resolution screen I have. Oof. I love it. I have the original Blade Runner, too. I own that shit. I'm probably, I might need to rewatch that tonight after we record. Um, but yeah, like you were saying about um, Blade Runner 2049, like expanding, especially on these like landscapes and, mm-hmm. and big world shots, he still he still keeps it very grounded by like having a lot of that mist and like not showing you depth as much. Like he keeps it very like in your face and gives you that like mystery of the world, which kind of leaves it up to your imagination and just makes it, I think, better overall. Because he yeah. just keeps you, he shows you what he needs to show you, and that's about it. But it still expands the world in in good ways. Which is why this movie rightfully won the Oscar for uh, cinematography. Which is very surprising because, I mean, I mean, not surprising in the sense that it didn't deserve it, but this movie was not popular at all. Like it just bombed at box office and did not do well. Um, I th- I think. Well, it, it beat uh, your your precious firstborn Dunkirk. Was it the uh, same year? Same year. It beat Dunkirk and The Shape of Water. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm not upset with. And The Darkest Hour, which I still have not seen and probably never will. And Mudbound, which I've never heard of. Well, this was also Deacon's first win too, which was insane. Yeah, it really he is. Was like, he um, was like the Leo of cinematography Oscars for a long time. Just kept getting nominated and never won. And then he finally did it. So this kind, this yeah, was kind of like a, um, uh, just like giving him the award because he deserves it for everything else. But he still deserved, well, obviously deserved it for 2049. Yeah. I was about to say, hang on now. Um, but, man, you know, cinematography, uh, I got, I've gotten a couple great wins in cinematography for my... <laughs> for my my personal brand in that uh, I love it uh cuz you know Blade Runner 2049 obviously a big win for me and then Mank in 2021 was just a huge win that was a great one for the home team uh uh I love the cinematography uh category it's just it it's 
it's it's very consistent. I think rarely is there like a robbery. Yeah. Although you did not think Mac, you didn't think Mank was gonna get it, and I was telling you, I was in your ear chirping you saying Mank was gonna get that shit. Yeah, Mank, I, I still disagree with. I didn't find it that cinematography that great, but that's just me. Hell. Oh, except oh wait, I take it back. There was a robbery. Um, La La Land beat Arrival. Okay, I mean, that's tough. La La Land's beautiful, but okay, but Mank isn't. No. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Going back to, to Blade Runner here. Um Yeah. Maybe this, Nomad Lane could have beaten Mank, but it wasn't. The cinematography in this film is just <laughs> unbelievable in all aspects. Like I feel like he used Deacons uses color really well in this. Like there's a oh there's a lot god. of orange, but also when it's down the city, it's very like multicolored and like neon, like pink, blue, the neon. green. Ugh. It gave that like cyberpunk vibe. Um, throughout, I love it. Um, it was just gorgeous to watch, and just watching these characters move through this like unique, um, beautiful city. So good, it is just perfect. Um, there's really nothing. There's not really anything wrong with this film. Uh, one thing that I particularly loved is the acting, obviously, um, and Gosling and Ford are something that we'll get to as they're very essential. But the well, it's interesting. Uh, about, oh, we're not, okay, we're not going to talk about Gosling right now. Not yet. Okay. No, we're, I want to do the, the supporting first. Okay. Um, first off, I want to start with Dave Bautista, uh, the first character you see besides Gosling in this movie. Gave a great because, opening performance. Well, it's this old thing. Like, I think setting Gosling's first like fight against Bautista is fucking genius because for one you see like how the blade runners operate and how they do their job like i don't want to kill you like i'll bring you in and then um but it's like this idea and it's something that actually once upon a time in hollywood explored and really explored in the book is the idea of like in these old western shows and movies they would have somebody who is bigger or maybe more well known than the actor probably not more well known in this case but have somebody be a heavy like somebody that would be considered tough to take down opposite uh, the main char- our main hero, mm. and then he beats him, and then it like gives you credibility. So when you see Ryan Gosling like beat Dave Bautista in hand to hand combat, like you're like, oh shit, he can he can handle himself. Like you know what's up. Yeah, and I think you also don't know at this point that Bautista's an older replicant. Do you? I forget. Like, do you know his it, mission? I think it, it it lets it you you know that Gosling is a Blade Runner and he says that like he Bautista says something about like you new models or like don't understand what miracles are and he says something like you old models are very sentimental like you know the dynamic yeah so there's a little bit of an advantage on Gosling because he's built better but still yes but th- it's it's another thing that helps you show it though right like you know that these. It, like Dave Bautista, we know is a big guy, a physical guy, a strong guy, um, and he, not only is we are we seeing Gosling take him down because he's just in in this case a better fighter, but we also know he it it shows that these new replicants are a bigger threat because they're stronger, and that's why one of the main antagonists being a new replicant like makes these fights between the two so intense when they start having them, right. Because you understand the stakes better. Yeah. And this is 
a, a different podcast, probably one we need to pocket for the Blade Runner podcast, but it also allows the idea that maybe Deckard is a uh, replicant survive because that, like, have you ever heard that theory? That Deckard's a what? A replicant. Yeah, didn't we know that? No, no, no. no. It's never confirmed. Mm, I feel like it has been confirmed. No. Okay. I Definitely. I always inferred that he was. That, and that's one of the things about the movie is you can or you can't. Like, yeah. In the scene with Jared Leto, it seems like he's talking to him like he's a replicant at first. Like He's like, oh, maybe you got called to the Terrell Corp because you were like... I'm going to sh- shelf this for a second, but um, if they want to keep the idea alive that Deckard's a replicant or that he isn't, this movie allows it to work both ways because... Obviously, he's not beating up Gosling in their scene when they first meet, and Gosling kind of easily, like, stops him, uh, except for the shot gunshot. But it, it lets it be alive because, oh, Deckard's a human, he would be weaker, or Deckard's an older replicant, he would be weaker. So both sides of it are still alive. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just a fun debate to get into, but we'll talk about Leto versus... Uh, forward in a minute. Uh, Dave Bautista's perfect there. Anna de Armas, man. Is this is this her first big role? I can't think of anything. I wouldn't this. call this big. I feel like I, I would call like it pretty big. The thing is, most people still like this is not a popular movie. It, I think it's. I think it has gotten very, very much like far more popular online than. It did uh, in theaters. I definitely I mean, her think known it gained for, a, a bigger following, but I don't think this would be considered like a big role for her, even though she's incredible known, in it. I mean, like, she didn't have anything huge until Knives Out, and yeah. she was, and she was one of the big buzz parts. I mean, yeah, this is de- about Knives Out. I think because of this movie. Okay, fair. Yeah, because this step this is the first time I've heard of her was this movie. Um, yeah, me too. But oh my god, her as Joy. Like, one, her performance is great, but two, just, like, the character of Joy and, like, the VFX and the CGI surrounding it was unbelievable. It's insane. Just the scene with um, Joy and the prostitute and Kay is one of the most, like, incredible yes. scenes I have ever seen, like, CGI VFX-wise on screen. Like, that scene literally blew me away in theaters. I was I had no idea how they pulled that off. That was incredible. I, do, I, I still don't. It's five years later. I have no idea. I think there's like some stuff about it online, but oh my god! I was like, just, I was like, like we've never even like heard of something like that. Like we didn't think it was like not that it wasn't possible, but just like the idea of that itself, of like merging I'd one never, person with yep. another person and mimicking their movements, is like just an incredible scenario and just a visual to have in a movie. Could you imagine, like uh, the way I imagine it had to be done, and you can correct me on this because you're the one who makes films. I'm the, I'm the everyman on this podcast, <laughs> but I imagine that it would have to be they both shoot do the same blocking, right? And then they overlay them with each other. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's something like that where they had to do the exact same blocking, which is in it's almost an impossible task, especially the way right. people move with their their arms and like their or I don't know like fingers I don't know if they had like a projection like they had one person do it and then the other person followed I, I don't know how it was done but it's just remarkable and fascinating 
And I love that I kind of don't know because it, it just so still blows genius. my mind every time I see it. Oh, just the, just it. the idea of it itself is just so well done. And it fits into the movie well. It's not just like, oh, here's this cool idea. Like, it's showing how, like, it's showing, like, humans versus robots and intimacy versus that and, like, loneliness. It's just, oh, it, mm-hmm. it fits in so well. Um, while we're here, I really want to. I just quick drive by shout out to Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, she's great. Holy shit, she's not huge in this movie. She's uh, although she is a little bit bigger than I remembered her being, but well, she's, one, my, she has a lot of great fi- roles since then. Well, she started 2016, and maybe my favorite Black Mirror episode is Yorkie and San Junipero. Mm-hmm. I love that episode. Yep. Um, then this, then Tully, and then she is. Terminator Dark Fate is a good movie. I will stand by this. She was a star this of not the pod. She was a star of the miniseries Station Eleven on HBO, which just came out. Yes, she did a great that job. That is that is on my list. That that has been on my list just because of her. Like you were talking about your favorite actress earlier. Like she might be mine right now. I think she has a ton of talent and will be very very uh, great in the future. Yeah, I'm excited for no, she, Station Eleven because of her. Yeah, she was she was great in it, and she was amazing um, in Tully too. I need that's on my list, man. I still haven't seen it. Great, um, totally. All right, we're gonna keep giving drive-by plays to pe- praise to people. Uh, Robin Wright. I mean, if you put Robin Wright in a movie, you know she's gonna give an amazing performance. I mean, Princess has Princess Buttercup ever not delivered? <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like every performance I've seen her in, she's amazing. I always like for I. It's so weird, Robin Wright. Like I feel like she's become a very good character actress almost because i'll see her and i'll forget like oh she was the princess bride and the princess bride like i always forget that and then i go to the imdb and i'm like oh yeah i also loved her character in this too like she had a good arc oh yeah i love how she didn't give away k k's location at the end it's a great uh relationship they have Mm -hmm. and then it's also kind of like she's almost like the opposite of like the grumpy sergeant lieutenant character we usually get it almost had like a mother-son vibe like a little bit yes and she's like um like in the original blade runner you don't see him very much but like the lieutenant or whoever runs the blade runner division that deckard's in is very much like the grumpy like ah turn in your badge and gun you're suspended right you know trope and she's just like even though he's a replicant, like kind of genuinely cares about him. Yeah. And, like every time he comes back and his baseline's fine, he's, she's like, ah, I'm glad we get to keep you. Yeah. She's like, like a breath of fresh air almost. Oh, it makes you feel good, man. Yeah. In, in a, in this world, like there's not a lot of good in this world that we, that they show us. Like it mm-hmm. makes you, and then like, she's supposed to retire him with how bad her, his baseline was, yep. but she's like, I'll give you two days to get your mind right. And then you can come back. Yeah. She has and, like, compassion. Even that acknowledgement that, like, even though he's a replicant, like, he does have a mind, like, I don't think she even realized what she was doing there. Like, her character didn't. You know? Like, why are you telling this robot to get his mind right? I guess. I just felt like she had feelings. Like, she kind of felt for this replicant. She she did, but, like... Uh, the the whole ro- the whole replicant having feelings thing is something I want to get to a little bit later. I keep kicking cans down the road, but like replicants aren't really supposed to have feelings. That's what the baseline is for. It's to show that they're still doing the task that they're supposed to be doing and not really thinking outside of it. 
And so when his baseline is so off, it's because he's having all these thoughts that like he is the child mm-hmm. and he starts to develop feelings that he didn't know he had, but maybe all replicants can think like that. Like it's an, it's an insane mind boggling thing and her acknowledging it without knowing she acknowledged it is a really genius writing move right mm, there. Yeah, I agree with that. But uh, we'll hit one more. This is probably going to be our longest of the supporting actors. Um, I Shout out to the actress that played Love. She's great in this. Yep. Uh, she doesn't do enough, I think, acting to really hit like a lot of the... Pre- like She's just like... She's almost like a Terminator, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, um, and then David Desmalchin, Denis Villeneuve loves that guy. Um, creepy dude. Shouts him. He just always creepy plays guy. that creepy, the creepy weird character. Great in Dune. Uh, let's get to my guy, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. I mean, Fuck. he's very Jared Leto. That's in a this. character actor. That is a character actor and a half. Um, I'll, I don't agree with this, but I'm gonna give you what our reviewer of the week said. Um, he doesn't really have. He has almost nothing negative to say about this movie. He doesn't like the cameo of the racial character, which, you know, I can understand. It feel, He said it feels like tacked on fan servicing. But he mm. said Jared Leto as God-complex-suffering, monologue-prone, industrious Neander Wallace. The scenery is just too gorgeous to, having it, to have him chewing on it like he does. Hard which disagree. Which is a hell. It's a it is a hell of a of a statement to, yeah. to put on somebody. One wow, like I mean, I get people hate Jared Leto, and I get that, but he fits perfectly in this world. This is a oh weird, God, dysfunctional so sci-fi world. Like that's perfect for Jared Leto. Jared Leto is so weird, and he put, he was, was all out on his weirdness in this movie. He had the weird contacts, the the for. earrings, or the the neck uh, robot thing, whatever. Um, he was blind. Like it was just perfect. He fits perfectly in this movie. I don't get people saying that he doesn't. I, I'm actually rethinking this. I don't know if he was talking about the Rachel cameo. He might be talking about Edward James Olmos' gaff. Because that did feel a little like it's that one is kind of thrown in there because you're like, what did he gain from this conversation? Like, why right. is it there? He doesn't find out where Deckard is. Yeah. But that's is, off topic. Yeah. I want to talk to you, Arletta. Um, Sorry. <laughs> we can, We can do plot in a second. But, man, he's a psychopath and does really weird shit. And, like, when you, like, let him, when you cle- everybody clears out for him and he can do a 10-minute monologue on, like, why he's upset that his, like, baby robots that he considers his children aren't breeding together. Like, th- that's when you lay out for Jared Leto. Like, that is what he is made for. And if anything... I wish there was more of him in this movie. I feel like he had very little, but his scenes were very powerful that he was in. You you say that, and then he is in it as much as you want him to be in it, and you're like, oh, I see why we should have kept him out of uh, it. Because it gets a little a, – a big monologue every time yeah. that you see him, it gets a little overwhelming. That's fair. Um, But to, like, anybody who thinks this is too much, like, did, did you not watch – the original fucking Dr. Tyrell is like this. It's almost the same. He doesn't want them to breed and doesn't think that I, or at least in the movie, you don't, you're not supposed to think they can, but he's like definitely a guy with a God complex too. Um, yeah. The Jared Leto versus Harrison Ford stuff is so 
good and so convincing. Like, he is menacing there. Menacing. Like, you're like I'm worried for Harrison Ford, and I'm almost never worried for Harrison Ford in a movie. Well, he's old in this movie. You can feel his he oldness. He is. He is, and he's frail, but, like, man, like, what's it, what's, uh, Neander Wallace is, like, the, the amount of, he's bearing on to him, and he's, like, all right, you don't want to accept my gift of, like, this Rachel replicant, and you're going to insult the imperfection that, like, I didn't get her eye color right. All right, I'm taking you off world, and you're going to learn what pain is, and I'm, like, oh, holy shit, he's insane. Yeah. Which is totally the point, and I, and it works for me. It it definitely works. Um, it's it's awesome, man. And like the scene where he the the replicant falls out of that sack, like a new replicant is born, and he wants to welcome it into the world, almost like he's the father of it, which he sees himself as. And he does this long monologue about how much his creations have given to the world and how they've gone to nine new planets since he took over like what the Terrell Corp used to be doing. And he's like, and it's still not good enough. And he stabs this newborn life into the world and kills it. Yeah. That's pretty because brutal. It's, it cannot ha- create life of its own. It's insane. And he seems kind of stable, a little full of himself, but then a, 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 he does one act like that, and you're like, wow, this is going – this is a, a, a bad, bad guy. Because what he essentially did is kill a baby. <laughs> it's a full-grown woman, but she was born two seconds ago and doesn't even have implanted memories yet. Or maybe they do that when they're in their womb, quote-unquote. But Yeah, wild. he killed a baby. <laughs> he killed a baby. Ugh. It's like that's – Boom, bad guy. And then the way they just execute the Rachel right there when he's like, her eyes were green, which also, amazing moment. We can just transition this into the Harrison Ford thing. Like him, like there's that them staring into their eyes and Harrison Ford's like clearly thinking very deeply about if he wants to give up his child that he hasn't met to be with what looks like his old, like his true love. Yeah. And... For all he knows, it might as well be the same because she was a replicant. And I get, and I get why people are saying Rachel is tacked on, but that scene gave such a great performance out of Ford. Like you, you yeah. could feel it in that scene, and I think that's why he, he put it in there. That and the he, ending, obviously. He doesn't have a ton of lines in this movie, but like uh, his acting, and it's more. He's usually, I feel like, good with like quippy lines and just delivering dialogue, but his like facial acting in this movie is so great i mean that's like it's, that's everyone that's what i was gonna get to with gosling too is that this movie is a lot of show don't tell like gosling barely mm-hmm. has any lines either and he kind of plays the same character he doesn't drive where he, he just doesn't talk much and it's just like uh here and there and it's all show don't tell which is great this shows how much like yeah. visual cues this movie has and how much it gives you um it's yeah man and um god i love i love all the deckard stuff in this movie that was something i was worried about too when i was like oh he's gonna be in this oh no you know like yeah what harrison i remember seeing the trailer before and they showed harrison four and i was like oh okay this is just nostalgia 
it's yeah. I thought it was going to be a nostalgia play with him, but I think the way they used his character was great. Like, and I also he, think I think they he did have to. Um, this movie was not going to get made without him, but I think they, mm-hmm. like you said, they used him very well and kind of the only yeah. way they could. And it's in not uh, well. Force Awakens maybe isn't the example I'll use. Mm. Maybe uh, I don't want to use Indiana Jones because that is him. I'll, I'll use Force Awakens yeah. even though I, I like that movie a lot. Um, that movie, like he's not moving very well and is clearly not an action star anymore. And so they might have used a little bit too much of him, or at least shown him a little too much. Like I'm fine with him being in a bunch of action scenes, but when you so show too much of him running, I don't buy it. But when you show him punching Ryan Gosling in the face and then tires himself out doing it and it's like, do you just want to go get a drink? I'm like, I buy that. Yep. Then he's not in the movie for a little while. Then he's sitting in like his blocking is him sitting, listening to Leto, then standing, looking at Rachel, turns around. Um, here's one line from behind him. Cut. He's locked in a in a car seat. And then he's standing in the snow like that's a perfect usage of a of an older actor like that. Yeah. Gave him just the right amount He's, of screen time. I mean, I was about to say what? It's only like 10, 15 minutes of screen time, maybe. Like Maybe a little is, more, but yeah. This is not his story anymore. It is a story that was caused by him, but it's through the eyes of Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling, man, whew, he does a good job of a robot discovering what it means like to have a conscience or a soul. He's very or, good at having no emotion. He did it in Drive, this movie, yes. Place Beyond the Pines. Like, there's tons of movies where he just shows La La Land. Yeah, to an extent. That one. You he, could argue what he did to Emma Stone was pretty soul. <laughs> I love La La Land. <laughs> no, he had, he had character in that. But he, he yes. plays, like, stale, no emotion, stone cold killer very well. But then um, also, we see that emotion come out of him throughout the movie, which makes it so much yeah. more impactful. He grows like a soul or a conscience that he's like not supposed to have Mm -hmm. right like it's crazy oh my god and uh and like this so this was for him this is like the best time to be ryan gosling this two years 2015 2017 because he does the big short then he does the nice guys movie that movie rules then he does la la land then he does blade runner 2049 you could throw in first man a year after and he hasn't done a movie since but damn quite the, quite the roster and then now he's gonna be ken in the barbie movie <laughs> can't wait i he, he's gonna get an oscar for it um <laughs> no but like and he's doing this role where like He's almost supposed to have no expression the entire time, you know? But then it'll be, like, little subtle movements of his face that, like, tip off what he's thinking, but he's not really supposed to have any thoughts but what his orders are. Right. And then you see it slowly developing, developing, developing until he is satisfied and happy with himself because he united a father with his daughter, which is a bond he should not understand, but he does because he had put himself mentally in that position and learned empathy it's insane. Yeah. And you can really feel his emotion, uh, especially at the end. I And was he recognized for this, like, even with a nomination? He wasn't. No. It's, that's a, that is a robbery to, in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, Gosling, doesn't, I feel like, doesn't get recognized for a lot of the great roles he's done. 
like, it's a good, it's a pretty stacked. I mean, he's got to go up against Gary Oldman, Daniel Day Lewis, and then we had Daniel Kaluuya, who was a pretty a pretty big newcomer, I think, in that year for Get Out. Like that was his breakout. Timothy Chalamet, that was his breakout, and then Denzel Washington in a movie that I don't even remember. Those three, Denzel, uh, Daniel Day, and Gary Oldman are gonna get nominated. I think that was. I don't Spences. know if you bump. What fences? I think the movie was. No, it was called Roman J. Israel Esquire. Oh yeah, is yeah, what yeah. it was called. I remember that. I don't remember that movie. Is it good? I didn't watch it. it. I just remember it. Yeah, man. Like I'm not. Okay, but uh, that I. We have a we we have our love and hatreds of the Oscars, and that's definitely one for me because I don't know if you bump Kaluuya or Chalamet. I don't know if you can. I think in that situation you say fuck it, we're adding another one <laughs> and letting Ryan Gosling get his nomination. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm fine with the Oscar list as is, but either way, he gave a great performance. Um, the stuff with him and Joy is so good. Um, so good. The, seeing the, Joy it's, it's, get crushed by Love's foot and just seeing Gosling's oh face, oh, I felt the exact same amount of heartbreak that he did. Why did um, a robot being sad about his AI girlfriend hurt my feelings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his fake girlfriend. His, his computer. Fucking yes, it's his computer. His computer He's, broke. The, I mean, but it's if the my guy computer from broke. Her. If, <laughs> Yeah, it's like he, someone took out uh, Joaquin's earpiece and just smashed it. <laughs> exactly. Like, why is that making me sad? Because of that threesome, man. It got to you. Is that a threesome? I call it a threesome. Computer and two people. <laughs> this is I, now. I have to get this pod out of this weird area. <laughs> all right. So, with all these emotions that we're seeing Ryan Gosling grow. It's supposed to make you think. So the the reason, okay, well, I guess the Ford thing doesn't play too much into it, but it, it's either a replicant born from a human and a replicant or two replicants. Either way, you see the movie. Mm-hmm. I I always, I kind of always viewed it for, for a while as a human and a replicant because that would even give more credibility to the idea of having a soul, but I think... It works both ways because he he does say to be born means to have a soul. Um, yeah, I think that's just, yeah. I think like you said, you could take it either way. Like that's the whole point of the movie, right? Um, but he convinces himself because of these memories that the actual child had used to create when she helped create him. She used her own memories, and it's basically a case of mistaken identity that he caused to himself. Mm. And it allows him to go past his programming and go past what he believed was possible. For some reason, the AI bot that had just learned all, like, you know, it's machine, like, she's machine learning to learn how to be a proper, like, a wife for him, you know? All right. But she's also saying, like, I knew you were special. Like, she knows he's a replicant. This This advanced AI knows what a replicant is. But for some reason, this AI was smart enough to think that maybe he's different from the other replicants and he's different in that while he may not have actual feelings, he, I think, has an understanding of what they are supposed to be and that's why he convinces himself that he is the child. 
Well, I think the memory was a big part of it too, that he saw the actual mm-hmm. horse that he has a memory yes. of. Yes. And I think that, that would definitely break you. When I was watching it um, this this time, I also thought they they were talking about how much of a, how much of this was a scheme almost, and like part of it was making a false I, false record of the child as a male and a female, saying the male lived and the female died, and then hiding it in an orphanage. And then I don't think the 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 child actually has an autoimmune disease. I think they just put her in that dome place to keep her safe, you know, because she's supposed to lead armies. Um, but. I think is part of it that she like they used her memories to make him to like make him think that he is the child like right. Say that again. Does that make sense? Does it do they do you think that he was supposed to think that he was born like he was the one born? Okay. Like they intention yes that they intentionally had him have her memories. Well, no, didn't she say that she put her memories in a lot of replicants, not just Kay? Well, she never put her exact memories in them. Right. She used them, but this was oh, an exact she memory. Oh, one little thing, right? Right. Yeah. But that's why this made her cry, and she was like, this is... Because yeah. she says she changed it. She's like, the difference between a real memory and one that was just used as an inspiration is like if there's feeling behind it, and that's why it makes her cry, because she's like, oh, shit, this is one of my actual memories. Yeah. And he gets so angry because when she says it's an actual memory, he doesn't take it as hers. He takes it as his. Right. And so that makes me think that maybe she didn't help create him, but she, but her memory was used somehow to make him. But how? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know, man. There's a lot of stuff in, me, the, in these movies that you can say I don't know. To about. me, she didn't give as much shock as she did emotion. Like I felt like she knew she put it there. Maybe. And maybe. She, but yeah, I think she had her own reasons. But like they also explain in the original one that you're not supposed to use actual real emotions because it can make replicants get super confused. Yeah, but I think she had her own. Uh, she also said that she only typically does good memories because when replicants are doing such bad work, she wants them to have something to good, good to look back on. But that's like a sad memory. I mean, maybe she was just very depressed at the time. Who knows? I don't know. There's lots of there's lots of things it could be about. Yeah. Um. But it's and the it, it's it's so weird because at first with the twist of that he is not the the child. I keep saying the child like it's. <laughs> the Mandalorian, but you—it's you, almost like Denis Villeneuve was giving this idea of like what it means to be human is more than just like being in, you know, a human form. Like it takes more like emotion. Yeah, and stuff it's, yeah, it's and about like, feeling and emotion. That was definitely right, the point. Right, but it's almost like it gets snatched away because he's not actually the child. And then it's followed right up with that scene of uh, the Anna de Armas, like, ad, the joy ad, yeah. being, like, saying, you look like a good Joe. And then you realize, oh, that is her programming. Mm-hmm. It's a nickname that she calls everybody. Yeah. And it beats you over he- over the head with it. But then when he's supposed to kill Deckard, even though he knows who the actual child is, he can't do it. And he has to reunite Deckard with the child because he has... 
care and feeling for both of them. So in the end, it does give you that message, but it does rip it away for a second. Oh, 100%. Which yeah. is, I think, very effective because you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, you feel for this him. This is... Ugh. Yeah, it was a really great twist. And also just seeing um, Deckard and his daughter come together at the end was just mm. uh, so heartwarming. As Gosling happily dies on you think he dies steps outside. Uh, I think they're not making a third one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in thirty years, who knows? I th- I think he dies, but I like how when he first contemplated his potential humanity, he's looking at the snowflake as they t- fall on their hand, which is another good like every snowflake is different. Like that one's kind of just beating you over the head with it. <laughs> every bit. snowflake is different, and everyone is a snowflake. <laughs> like, but then as he dies, it's the snow falling all around him, mm-hmm. or as he is satisfied with his final mission yeah. being successful. Uh, it's a beautiful movie. And what makes it even more beautiful, the score. Yeah. It's just, it's overbearing. It's, it's kind of like Dune. Like you kind of took stuff from this movie. It's just, it's in your face and it works so well. I remember I have, I, I have a 4k Blu-ray of this and when I was playing it in my basement, I thought my speakers were going to blow, honestly. Like, my whole basement <laughs> was shaking. I was like, holy shit. Some intense audio. Um, I think this might be my favorite Hans Zimmer score. It's, uh, okay, okay. The whole time, the music, man, it was just, it just, it set the mood. No, 100%. He, he did his job perfectly by making a score that perfectly fits this movie. Um, um, but uh, it's it's tough to choose a favorite. I mean, it's either him. this or the boss. It's either this or the boss baby. <laughs> but one of my favorite touches of his is for that final scene that we were just talking about is that he did a reworking of the original scores, "Tears in the Rain," which is you know the big climactic moment at the end. My favorite, maybe my favorite monologue in all of film is the "Tears in the Rain." score is the tears in the rain scene from the original blade runner and he takes vangelis's tears in the rain keeps it you know the same but almost fills it a little bit more Mm -hmm. and it's not the same type of moment or maybe it is it's a realization of what a replicant can be and the emotions it can feel um but it it's just as effective it really is we need to do the original Blade Runner so I can do an hour on Tears in the Rain. I love the Tears in the Rain speech. I can't – I knew I was going to do it on this pod. I didn't want to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. It is so – it is such a perfect ending to a movie and one of the greatest endings to a character conflict I've ever seen. I'm done. Okay. I'm sorry. Is it not great though? No, it is. It is. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. But I the score – that score, it like just like – it almost like cal- it calmed me almost like the tears in the rain speech calms me too. I think that scene because you're li- you like it, the, it, you realize you're listening to something profound. And then when it's used here, there's no auditory stuff going on, but you realize you're watching something profound. I don't think it's calming's the right word, but it, it fits perfectly. It doesn't make me anxious. No, it just, it fits in this world. It matches the visuals, which is, an almost impossible task. Um, 
And then I, I will, the last thing I think I'll say before we start the wrap up here is right before Deckard goes in, he looks at Kay, who has, you know, risked his life for him, went all the way to Vegas to find him, you know, trying to bring him back into society. And he looks at him and says, why? What am I to you? And then Kay looks at him and says, go meet your daughter. Yeah. Great line. Oh. Great ending. That's like the, I mean, it's pretty much the realization of this isn't my father. I want him to be, but I'm going to give him the relationship I wish I could have. And especially after being with this character for about three hours total, it's just like a release almost. It's just like, oh, it's just like you're letting it go. You're letting go. And it's perfect. The whole time you're so wanting Kay to be this, like a it's like a typical classic, something we're used to chosen one trope. Like, the minute you hear that Rachel had a kid, you're like, it's Kay. It's got to be Kay. That's why Ryan Gosling's in this role. This is why we're watching this movie. And then it's not. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it unsettles you, which is why it's such an effective twist. And then the release, the sigh of relief that you get. And that's why that's when Tears in the Rain becomes more comforting, comforting or calming to me. Uh, is because, like... Yeah, go ahead. What? Well, I was just going to say, it's like... Because the mission is over, you're decompressing with a score that you have heard before, and you it creates this memory of such a profound moment that makes the original so good, and you realize you're watching a similar and a similarly important moment. And I think the snow, as, as a cliche mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say it is, I think it fits in that scene because like snow itself is like so calming, you know, like that first yeah. snowfall, just it being laying there, that fresh, it's just like when it's silent, it just, yeah, it perfectly fits the scene. It guides you into that black screen that ends the movie mm-hmm. and then directed by Denis Villeneuve shows up <laughs> and you've watched a masterpiece. <laughs> All right. Do you have any more Blade Runner thoughts? We have, this is one of our best coverages, I think of a movie. If you say so. Um, No, I mean, that felt good. This is uh, (laughs) Denis did a hard task, and he he made it work. He he like he took the influence of the original Blade Runner and just his inspiration. You can just feel him wanting to make like a a sci-fi movie, like he said, and it was so visually and and audioly. I don't know if that's a word. (laughs) Interesting. it's just marvelous. You can just you can feel his passion for this movie in the original. Mm. And that ends so our good. Nolan Villeneuve month. Yep, two masters. And that leads us into something I am very excited for next month, baby. Hard pivot from these very intense movies that we have done. Yeah, it's, it's a hard oh pivot. Oh my god. Oh, we're gonna do teen movies. I'm so excited. Teen movies, baby. Teen movies. Think stuff like Clueless. Uh, mean Girls. We're gonna do Friday. That's on the sheet. We're doing that for sure. That's a, gonna be a fun episode. I'll go ahead and give that one to y'all. Um, Clueless, Mean Girls, uh, Easy A is one that I love. Where some we'll throw some young adult ones in there too. Young adults, like we'll probably do like a Hunger Games, uh, not Percy Jackson, because fuck those movies. Um, stuff like that. You know, the the that wave of dystopian <laughs> young adult novels that came out to ride the Harry Potter wave. Um, I'm pumped up for it. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I haven't seen, I haven't watched a lot of teen movies recently. So really, oh my god! Not really, no. I'm kind of an adult You're now. <laughs> Man, me too. But I like to watch it and be like, ah, I miss high school. <laughs> 
You never pop in days of confused and you're like, ah, I miss going to the drive-in with my buddies, the drive-thru with my buddies. I guess days confused is out. a teen movie, yeah. Yeah, and I'll sit there until it's time for a party at the Moon Tower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that movie rules. I can't wait to talk about them. Um, we'll figure out a way to organize them and we will put out a poll this weekend and let everybody get to voting so we can get to watching as one big ABC family. Uh, ABC Family, that's a network. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got anything left for the people? I got nothing left for the people. Go right. enjoy the rest of your um, day or evening or morning. Yes, whenever you listen to the podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. Go check out at ABC Movie Show on Twitter to vote in our polls and get updated to when we drop episodes uh like and rate and review us on apple Podcasts because that helps i don't think you can rate and review on spotify can you i don't know i don't think you can Uh, we're apple people i forgot (laughs) um the superior the the superior streamer um all right thank you for doing another movie with me jacob till next time see you next time buddy